so many instances in the Bible where prayer made such a difference. Jesus felt it necessary to pray to the Father. I've thought many times with he, when he came to this earth, when he came with, uh, with the power that he had had and he left it in heaven and he came to this earth and then when he went back to heaven and he took that right back up and then he said all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth once he goes back and Brother King knows what I'm talking about here. But uh, he, he on this earth, he said, I do nothing of myself. It's of the Father. He was giving us an example as being a human being in the flesh. Now, if he was in heaven with the Father, uh, you know, it was a different story. But being here on this earth, he was in the flesh and he was laying the example out for us that we can do nothing within ourselves, regardless of how talented or how much ability we have. You can do nothing within yourselves. Geraldine cannot sing that song within herself. She couldn't hardly get up here. And uh, I almost felt bad by asking her to come, but I felt like if she'd just sing it, she'd feel better. And I believe you do. You do. And, and so her, her willingness to be obedient gives her a better feeling. And we on this earth, we have to pray many times and we trust the Lord and we should pray, you know, without ceasing, the Bible says. Isn't it great to ride down the road sometime and just start praising the Lord? Say, Lord, I praise you. I thank you. Thank you, Lord. You don't have to name what you thank him for everything. He knows what you are thinking. He knows what's on your heart. And I've got some of my greatest blessings in the car just, you know, praising the Lord and thanking the Lord. You may say you're crazy for what you're doing, but I've driven halfway home from Bedford sometime and didn't remember passing anything. I didn't remember whose house I went by or anything else. But Jesus is a better driver than I am. If he's your co-pilot, you better change seats. You better let him do the driving because he doesn't make a mistake. He knows how. And so we praise him and we thank him for all that he's done. Now, in, in the word of God, in the word of God, um, you say, well, he, uh, he never failed to heal someone, and yet we do. And we discussed a little of that this morning in the message. Uh, he never failed to heal someone, so therefore he had more power than we have. No, he was in the 17th chapter of John. He said, I and my father are one. He was in one accord in unity with the Father and with the Holy Ghost. They were in unity. You say Jesus didn't have to have, to have the Holy Ghost. The Bible says when he started out that God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good, healing all them that were oppressed of the devil. He, he did everything the exact way that he's laid out for us to do it. If he needed the Holy Ghost, if he needed the Spirit of God to do what he did, how much more do we need him today to do what we have to do? We have discounted him and put him on the back shelf and said, I don't need that spirit. I, all I need to do is say, confess to Jesus, and that's the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. And so Jesus, even though he was the son of man on this earth, he still had, he still had the virtue within him to heal. We can have the same thing. Simon Peter had it. My Lord, 
they laid him on the streets. He walked down the streets in the shadow of Peter passing over them, healed them. You say, but that's back in Bible days. So what are we in the night? We not in prehistoric days or the days of the Grecians or the whatever. We are in Bible days right now, tonight and today. And the healing virtue should be in the church as it was then. Why are you talking so much about healing, preacher? Because it takes more, and nobody in here is going to agree with me tonight on this. That's all right. I'll walk out of here and go out and eat worms in the garden. Nobody like me. But it, let me tell you, it takes more to get healed, a miraculous healing, than it does to get saved. Because we know when we get down to get saved, there's no other alternative, no other name under heaven. We've got to be saved by him. I can't go to the doctor tomorrow morning and get saved. But in the back of our human minds, if I don't get healed tonight, I'll go to the doctor tomorrow and I'll get some more pills. Now come on and help me out just a little bit. Am I right or wrong? We have an alternative of being healed by trusting in something besides him. But to be saved, we've got to trust him. There's no other way around it. The woman with the issue of blood, and you know the story. I think she'd had it for 12 years. It was 12 years she'd had the issue of blood. The Bible said she had spent everything she had on this. She could not stop this. Probably a monthly thing, she could not stop it. It was continual. There was no way. She had spent all of her money. Physicians couldn't do it. Couldn't do any good. So she heard that Jesus was in town. She goes, there's a crowd, always a crowd pardon. You know, wherever something's being done, there's always a crowd around, sometimes for good, sometimes for evil, sometimes for criticism, whatever. And according to the Bible, she pressed through that crowd. She went through, no doubt, people. She had to push them aside. She was probably in a physical condition that was bad, uh, that was weak. Uh, she didn't have much strength, but she got through this crowd and the, one of the writers said she touched the hem of his garment. One of them said she touched his garment. Another one said she touched the hem of his garment. And I, and I thought about that. Why didn't she just walk up to him and touch him on the back, touch him on the shoulder or something? But she touched the hem of his garment. And Brother Ben, he turned around and he said, who touched me? And the disciples more or less, and I'm paraphrasing again, just said, what in the world's wrong with you? you got people pressing you all over from both sides, everywhere around, and you want to know who touched you? How can we figure that out? He said, but virtue, virtue went out of my body. Somebody just got healed. Somebody just got healed. And this lady in the crowd was the very one because you know what she had done? She had gone as low, as low, as low as she could go. She was at the bottom of everything. At the hem, his garment, no doubt, was dragging the ground, dragging the street. And she reached down and touched the hem of that garment and was instantly healed. Let me tell you, when we go as far as we can go and go all the way, everything that we know to do and we know nowhere else to go, let's go on our face before God as low as we can get and the hem of the garment is always there. It's always there to provide healing virtue. 
So she was healed. In another instance, I'm not going to preach, I'm just talking. I've mentioned this more than one time, and I'm still baffled in, in, in one sense of the word. Uh, you know, Bible scholars can explain anything away sometimes. Uh, we've explained a lot of things away. We blamed a lot of stuff on, on the Lord that he, he wasn't guilty of. Huh? Don't look at me like that. The Lord told me to do this. The Lord told me to do that. Sometimes we told ourselves to do it instead of the Lord telling us to do it. Don't kid yourself. I know. I've been there. So sometimes we do. But there was a time that old Simon Peter got thrown in jail. And I like this story. I, I repeat it over and over. You get tired of it. I'm sorry it's still in the Bible. It was this morning. Uh, Simon Peter got thrown in jail. He's laying in jail, sound asleep. Now, Brother Sherman, it'd be hard for me to sleep in jail. I've never been in there except to visit. Uh, and, and I'm going to ask if anybody in here has been. Uh, probably some needed to be, but uh, I'm not sure, you know. So. But Peter got thrown in jail. And he goes to sleep. Not like Paul and Silas, they sat up and sang songs half the night. But Peter goes to sleep and is doing a good job of sleeping. And an angel comes in the prison, now stay with me, and wakes him up, gets him up and says, Rise, Peter, and follow me. And he goes out and Peter thinks he's having a dream or a vision. He thinks he's... You know, he's been asleep, so he thinks he's having a vision. So they go out and they go through the gates. They go through the walls of the prison, rather, the doors of the prison. The doors of the prison just opened up. Locks fell off, the doors opened. Go to the gate of the city. The gate swings open. Everything is wide open. And Peter walks on out, and all of a sudden he realizes, I'm out of jail, I'm free, I'm out of here. I thought I was dreaming. I thought I was having a vision. I didn't know what was going on. But there's a group of people called the church that was down at John Mark's mother's house that night. Mark, the one that wrote the book of Mark. They were down at John Mark's mother's house having a prayer meeting. And guess what the prayer meeting was for? to get Peter out of jail. <laughs> Let's pray that old boy out. And they get down there and they begin to pray. And somewhere or another in the whole thing, there's a knock on the door. And a little girl named Rhoda goes to the door and she hears him and she runs back and she said, it's Peter at the door. And they said, no, it can't be. It can't be. You're wrong. And I'm paraphrasing this according to Wayne. And, and, and he keeps knocking on the door, and she goes back and keeps on until they get the door open, and it is Peter standing at the door, been released, and it's him. They heard his voice. They opened the door, and Peter comes walking in. Now I submit a question to you. Whose faith got him out of jail? It sure Lord wasn't the church. Huh? The church didn't believe it was him. Did you ever pray for something that happened and you didn't believe it happened? A shock. They're praying for him to be released. He's getting out. Your prayer's answered. 
glorify God and praise the Lord. Your prayers have been answered. You got in one accord. You had unity. You got in one accord. No, that's not him. Can't be him. Well, you say it was Peter's faith. It was not. Peter was sound asleep. He didn't even know he was out till he got outside in the street. Knew nothing about it. And he winds up walking down the street. And it goes to prove one thing to me, that God can do what he wants to do without us. You say, oh, the Lord really needs me. The Lord needs my talent, my ability, my preaching, my prayers, my singing, my piano playing. The Lord really needs He don't need you. He don't need me. He don't need any of us. He was just loving us enough to give everything he had so we could multiply and so we could promote him. That's all it was. He is, he is all-powerful tonight. There's some things God can do in spite of us. Sister Ellis, sometimes he just says, I'm going to do it anyway. They pray in a prayer down there. It's a halfway prayer. Part of them don't believe. They're not going to probably get it answered their way, but I'll do it my way. I'll get him out of prison. They're probably praying for him to be brought before the magistrate tomorrow morning and be saying, you can go free. It didn't work that way. God says, I'll free him tonight, and it'll all be over with. So in all of this, Prayer works. I think I probably mentioned, I may have mentioned it uh, yesterday in, in the meeting we had uh, with the seniors. In all the times that I've been in hospitals and visited people, I've been in homes. Uh, I have been in hospitals a lot of times in Bedford. I've had nurses come up to me and say, um, Reverend, would you, go to rooms such and such and have a prayer with the persons in that room. They need prayer. They need, they want somebody to pray with them. And I'd go in a room and pray with strangers that I had no idea who they were. It's happened many times. I have visited people that uh, I knew their family. I would go to them and I would uh, walk in the room and visit with them and get ready to leave. Uh, is it all right if I have a prayer with you? I've had only two people, one person actually in the hospital, only one person in the hospital that has ever told me, uh, no, I, I, I don't want your prayers. I had one man one time say, I don't want your prayers, I don't need your prayers. And uh, I looked at him and I said, uh, I'll be talking to the Lord. And I walked out of the room. I don't know what happened to him. And like I said, I didn't know him that well. He died, I know that. And I had another one just a few years ago. And I'm just telling some things now. I had another one, and if I called this man's name, a bunch of you would know exactly who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not going to tell names and tales, too. But a member of his family was dead, and it was a vis visitation right here at this funeral home. Um, he was in bad health, and I knew that. Uh, his own in-laws and, and some of his own immediate family had told me that he was getting in bad shape, but he was still going around. He was there that night for the visitation, and he looked, he looked bad. And I met, with, met him in the aisle there, and I talked to him a minute, and I, and I called him by name, and I said, uh, I'm keeping you in my prayers. He said, ain't no need. I said, but we all need prayer. He said, don't waste your breath on me. He said, uh, you don't need to pray for me. I don't want your prayers. And knowing him as well as I did, I kind of, insisted a little bit with him. I said, you know, we all need God. And I said, we, we all need 
all the help we can get. He said, well, don't spend it on me. Spend it on somebody else. So I left him. He died a couple of weeks later. He said, um, I hope and pray that he had an experience like the thief on the cross and that he made it. I've known some people to do it on their deathbed. Prayer makes a difference, folks. 